48K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Richard Pine. Tonight's headlines. The government lowers its threshold for mandatory testing at COVID-hit buildings to better curb the spread of the virus. Families of 10 Hong Kongers who were tried on the mainland yesterday have been told to expect a verdict tomorrow. And the government apologises over the partial demolition of a disused but historic reservoir in Sham Shui Po. The government says it will lower its threshold for mandatory testing for COVID-hit buildings to better fight the spread of the virus. Mandatory testing orders will be issued if two unlinked cases are detected in the same building, down from the current four. Cecil Wong reports. The Undersecretary for Health, Trey Tak Yee, says the move is aimed at identifying silent carriers as soon as possible to reduce the likelihood of transmission. When asked if the government would consider relaxing social distancing measures now that the number of cases appears to have dropped, the Undersecretary said it is too early to make a call. We have a, a long public holiday in the, in the past few days for Christmas. So uh, there are also quite a lot of social activities going on, particularly on the streets, in shopping malls or even in private places. So if there are some uh, new cases uh, coming up from those uh, gatherings or events, they may appear or be diagnosed one or two weeks later. So I think it's too early to say now that it's time for relaxation. On the other hand, it's time for keeping vigilance instead. His comments come as Hong Kong reported 53 new infections, 50 of which were locally acquired. 14 of the cases were untraceable. There were also more than 40 preliminary positive cases, including a nurse who worked at Buddhist Hospital, as well as a United Christian Hospital nurse who works at the Palliative Ward 2D, where a cluster of infections had been reported. Three more residents of Fung Chak House in Choi Wan Estate also tested preliminary positive after the government issued a mandatory testing order for the public housing block. The compulsory test was ordered after several sewage samples taken from the block came back positive for coronavirus. And two more chronically ill elderly COVID patients have died, bringing the pandemic death toll in Hong Kong to 143. Innovation and Technology Secretary Alfred Sitt says people will be able to check their COVID test results and vaccination records on a new government app called I Am Smart. Downloadable from tomorrow, it will also allow users to apply for government services and pay utility fees. Mr Sitt downplayed privacy concerns. We are going to have all necessary procedures and measures to protect the data privacy for the people. My understanding is that Hong Kong citizens love to use the information technology and so the coverage of the smartphone in our society is widely accepted by the people. So we expect that the I'm smart application will be well received by our Hong Kong citizens. The families of 10 Hong Kongers put on trial in Shenzhen yesterday say they have been informed by lawyers that the court will deliver the verdicts at 10.30 tomorrow morning. But the relatives said they haven't been able to verify the information with the Yantian District People's Court. Vicky Wong has more. News of the verdicts to be handed down came just one day after the trial was held in Shenzhen. According to lawyers representing the 10 defendants, they had pleaded guilty to charges related to illegally crossing into mainland waters. Their families, meanwhile, continued to hit out at what they see as a lack of transparency about the case. The brother of one of the Hong Kongers, Tang Kai-yin, told RTHK that the families had struggled to get hold of the lawyers for information about the brief trial, but eventually received calls from them later in the evening. The messages everyone received were similar, that their children were good during the court proceedings and had pleaded guilty sincerely, nothing more, he said. Mr Tang also cast doubt on a claim made by the court that relatives of the defendants were present during the hearing after the families were given insufficient notice to attempt to attend the trial themselves.
The Hong Kongers were picked up by the Guangdong Coast Guard on August the 23rd as they allegedly tried to flee the SAR for Taiwan by speedboat. Two others have been detained with them, but Shenzhen authorities said because the pair are minors, they would only face a hearing with prosecutors rather than a trial. The European Union has demanded that Beijing release the 12 Hong Kongers. In a statement, the bloc said the defendants' rights to a fair trial and due process had not been respected. It called for their immediate release and swift return to Hong Kong. The EU statement comes as Brussels gears up to agree a major investment deal with the mainland, despite concerns over the country's rights and labour record. The Correctional Services Department has accused a person in custody at the Lychikok Reception Centre of violating the national security law by attempting to spread pro-independence messages. The department says it found the wording on the detainee's cell wall. It said it separated the man from other detainees and reported the suspected violation to the police. The department didn't name the individual, but said they had been remanded in custody for the offence of incitement to secession last month. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is five minutes past 11. Activist Tony Chung has been sentenced to four months in jail for desecrating the national flag and unlawful assembly during a confrontation at the Legco protest area in May last year. The court heard the 19-year-old defendant snatched a flag from government supporters, detached it from its pole and then threw it into the air. This happened as scuffles broke out while lawmakers vetted the now-scrapped extradition bill. A judge who last week released national security suspect Jimmy Lai from custody says the media tycoon's lawyers have an arguable defence case. High Court Judge Alex Lee set out his reasons for granting bail to the Apple Daily founder ahead of an appeal hearing against the bail decision on Thursday. Jimmy Choi reports. The judge believes Jimmy Lai's apparent requests for foreign interference appear to be nothing more than comments and criticisms. Alex Lee noted that for the national security offence, prosecutors have pointed to statements the media tycoon allegedly made during an online chat arranged by Apple Daily on July the 30th and during an interview he hosted on August the 18th. But the judge said rather than request for foreign countries to impose sanctions or engage in other hostile activities against Hong Kong or China, Mr Lai's statements seem to have been merely comments. Mr. Lee also pointed that while the strength of the evidence may change, and it may be that the evidence would become stronger in future, for now the defence stance is arguable. Next Digital says Mr. Lai, who founded the company, is quitting as chairman. In a statement to the local bourse, it said Mr. Lai wants to spend more time dealing with his personal affairs. Next Digital, which owns the Apple Daily newspaper, says Ip Yut Kin, currently a non-executive director of the company, will become the new chairman. The government says it has concluded that a century-old underground reservoir in Shamshui Po that was to be demolished should instead be preserved. Work had started to take down the structure at Bishop Hill, which features Romanesque arches, before a growing public outcry prompted the water supplies department to halt the demolition. The Antiquities and Monuments Office is now studying whether the site should be classified as a historic building. Development Minister Michael Wong says they'll wait for this assessment to be completed before considering the way forward. We believe the site should be preserved. It should not be further demolished. Um, what has been demolished should be restored. And then we should find a purpose which not only reflect the historic value of the site, but should also be able to further the enjoyment of the people of Samshui and of Hong Kong. 
Shamshoipo District Councillor Calvin Ho says he's not satisfied with the government's response and accused it of misleading the council. Mr Ho says that even though the Water Supplies Department says it sought advice from the Antiquities and Monuments Office, the document they provided to the council said nothing about this communication or the reservoir's historical value. He says the department should declare the place a proposed monument to restore public trust. The water supply department just mentioned about the potential dangers or the structural problem. The water supply department can not only stop the project, but also protect this place in a better manner, in a more serious manner. And also the public do not believe the government at this moment. So if the government just simply stopped the project and didn't take any action, they cannot get any trust from the public. Around 137,000 low-income households who are usually unable to receive government welfare have been encouraged to apply for the second round of a one-off living subsidy from next Monday. Large families stand to receive more than $15,000 from the $1.4 billion scheme. Violet Wong reports. The program will be run by the Community Care Fund and is aimed at helping the so-called end-nothings, households which are currently not living in public housing or receiving welfare payments from the government. The head of the Community Care Fund, Labour and Welfare Minister Lo Chi Kuang, says those eligible can apply for the one-off payments from January the 4th to the end of May. Single-person households stand to get $4,500. It doubles to $9,000 for two-person families while households of five or more people could get up to $15,500. Mr Law says it would take around two months for the government to fetch the applications. He added that this will probably be the last time for authorities to roll out the scheme because other poverty alleviation measures will be introduced next year. The Transport and Housing Bureau is already considering to provide a living subsidy by probably the uh, second half of uh, 2021 for those who are on waiting list for three years or more. And at the same time, the working family allowance to, will be making adjustments to the eligibility uh, requirements for those who are applying for the, the, the working family allowance. The target that this particular program aiming at will be substantially covered by the two schemes. The welfare chief says 113,000 applications were received for the first round of subsidy, which ended last month. An earthquake of magnitude 6.4 has struck central Croatia, causing serious damage. The town of Petrinja appears to have been worst hit. At least one person, a 12-year-old girl, was killed. Here's the BBC's Guy Delorny. The quake struck at lunchtime and appears to have caused the worst damage in the town of Petrinja. Pictures from the scene show rubble on the roads and buildings in a state of collapse. Emergency workers can be seen rescuing people from the wreckage. Petrinja's mayor made an appeal for the national authorities to help. Prime Minister Andrei Plenkovic has responded by sending hundreds of soldiers. Croatia's capital Zagreb has also been affected. Power cuts brought the city's trams to a halt and police called on residents to stay off the roads. The British government is coming under growing pressure to further tighten coronavirus restrictions as infections soar despite strict prevention measures across much of the country. More than 41,000 new cases were recorded yesterday. The BBC's Palab Ghosh reports. The scenario that officials and healthcare staff most feared 
of a rapid surge in cases at a time when hospitals are most under pressure appears to be coming true. There are already more than 20,000 COVID patients in hospitals in England, higher than at the peak of the first wave in April. Many of the government's scientific experts believe that there's a significant risk of a further rise in cases. They believe that ministers should get ahead of the virus by imposing tougher restrictions sooner rather than later. Australia says it may deport foreign backpackers who ignored coronavirus restrictions to hold a beach party in Sydney on Christmas Day. The immigration minister, Alex Hawke, says he was shocked to see people breaching public health orders when Sydney was struggling with an outbreak of the virus. Video of hundreds of young revellers on Bronte Beach was widely shared on social media. The French fashion designer Pierre Cardin has died at the age of 98. He was hailed for his visionary creations, but also for being a pioneer of stylish, ready-to-wear clothes for the masses. During his more than seven decades in fashion, Pierre Cardin overhauled the industry by successfully licensing his brand name. The BBC's Natasha Grunenberg looks back at his life. From childhood, Pierre Cardin's heart was set on a life in fashion. He left home at 17 to work for a tailor in Vichy and after the Second World War designed in Paris for Paquin and Dior before he began in business on his own. Cardin acquired a reputation as a designer of extravagant and fantastic costumes. He was also the first leading couturier to break with tradition by designing ready-to-wear clothes, firstly for women and then for men. Cardin was particularly influential in the 1960s. His Space Age collection featured knitted cat suits, tight leather trousers and batwing jumpsuits. Sport now and in cricket, India swept past Australia for a dominant eight-wicket victory in the second test to level the series at one apiece. It was an extraordinary turnaround by India after their record collapse in the first test. Australia resumed day four at Melbourne on 133 for six in their second innings and battled to 200, setting India 70 to win. Subman Gill's 35 and captain Ajinka Rahan's 27 saw them home. Rahan says he's pleased with the result. All the players uh, played really well, especially coming after Adelaide, that loss. It was hard for us because, because of four ballers, but uh, great to each and every individual to show that, show that character and uh, win this test match. The Australian captain, Tim Payne, says his team's performance just wasn't good enough. I think both test matches we haven't batted well enough and in this one we were really sloppy in the field as well. We dropped four or five catches. You know, looking back now, if it makes 100 runs difference and we're right in the game, um, with the attack that we've got, we're showing we're having no, no problems creating chances and taking wickets. So we've just got to score enough runs and if we do that, then we'll go well in these last two test matches. In American football, the penultimate week of the NFL season wrapped up with another victory for the high-flying Buffalo Bills. The AFC East Division champions improved their record to 12 wins and 3 losses after crushing the New England Patriots 38-9 in Foxborough, Massachusetts. A reminder of our top stories tonight. The government lowers its threshold for mandatory testing at COVID-hit buildings to better curb the spread of the virus. Families of 10 Hong Kongers who were tried on the mainland yesterday have been told to expect a verdict tomorrow. And the government apologises over the partial demolition of a disused but historic reservoir in Shamshoi Po. The news from RTHK. RTHK Radio 3. It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's news wrap programme. 
Innovation and Technology Chief Alfred Sitt says people will be able to check their COVID test results and vaccination records on a new government app called I Am Smart. From tomorrow, the app could be downloaded, which will allow users to apply for government services and pay utility bills. Anne-Marie Evans asked Francis Fong from the Information Technology Federation what's new about the app. This I Am Smart app actually is like a personal identity in the app, so you can actually uh, check the information on the government website. Also, you can apply for some of the license, like the uh, driving license or your car license, or you can apply something else. Now only there are like 20 services. They said in mid-2021, there are like more than 100 services that is available uh, for use in the, in the government website and also some uh, uh, other uh, uh, services. So the COVID aspect is just one of, of the various services that you can get from this app? I, um, actually, they did not say very clearly about putting the COVID stuff inside, but I think to integrate the COVID information like the vaccine information or your, or your uh, testing in the community centre, that would be very easy. Is it worth the $60 million price tag, do you think? Uh, uh, because the development is actually uh, uh, like in a three years' time, and this is a uh, have to be a very secure app, so I don't actually think that the $60 million development fund is a very big number indeed. Now, some people might worry about privacy concerns. Do you think the government has done enough to ensure data protection? Uh, um, I have, because I have not tested the app, so I can't say uh, much about the privacy thing, but I uh, just look at the website, what they are talking about is pretty much very comprehensive. But I think most of the people are concerned about when you are going to register with the app, you have to use your think uh, uh, ID or your face ID, for example, those um, biometric uh, recognition. So I, I, I believe those information per in the uh, Apple iPhone or the Android actually are only stored in the phone, so I don't actually think there is a lot of privacy issue. COVID-19 has devastated Hong Kong's economy this year, shutting down much-loved restaurants, bars and businesses for good. Cathay Dragon Jets will never again grace our skies, with its pilots and cabin crew joining the ever-lengthening ranks of the unemployed. The jobless rate is at 6.3% and probably rising, despite the government pouring hundreds of billions of dollars into job retention and other relief measures. Timmy Sung takes a look back at a pandemic-driven year of hardship. Local retail sales have suffered a record plunge. Hong Kong's economy shrank 9% year on year. Hong Kong's jobless rate rose to 6.4%. We are deep into recession. When the mysterious virus first pressured Hong Kong from Wuhan in January, few could have predicted the widespread pain and suffering it would inflict, or that its impact would be so long and hard. To try to keep the disease at bay, the government closed all but three border checkpoints by early February. And when all non-residents were barred from flying into the city at the end of March and all returning Hong Kongers were subject to quarantine, the writing might have seemed to be on the wall for the aviation industry, especially with the WHO declaring COVID-19 a global pandemic that month. It's safe to say that we, we won't sadly be seeing the, the return of the, of, of the Cafe Dragon brand. It wasn't in the end until October that Hong Kong saw its first airline casualty, but it was a big one. Cafe Pacific restructured to try to save itself from oblivion, axing its sister airline and more than 5,000 jobs in the process. Cafe and its holding company Swire bought a controlling stake in Dragon Air 20 years earlier, rebranding it as Cafe Dragon in 2016. 
The move to fold it took many by surprise. Not least, the vice chairwoman of the Dragon Airlines Flight Attendants Association, Connie Leung. Dragon Air is my family member. All the colleagues is my family member. Air travel slumped by well over 90% during the pandemic, leaving Cafe with a loss of almost $10 billion in the first half of this year. In June, it announced a $40 billion recapitalization, which involved the government injecting $27.3 billion into the carrier. At the time, Financial Secretary Paul Chen indicated there was no alternative. If this challenge is not properly addressed, it would harm Hong Kong's international aviation hub status. But despite the bailout and the $700 million cafe has taken from the government to pay staff wages, as the year draws to a close, some of its former pilots are driving buses. Flight's crew who were spared had to accept a permanent pay cut as the airline's management refused to give an inch in negotiations with staff. Amber Soon is the vice chairwoman of Cafe's Flight Attendance Union. They have no sincerity in answering and extending the deadline or to make it a temporary contract. The job cuts didn't only come at Cafe. Its rival, Hong Kong Airlines, slashed 400 drops in February and fired a further 250 flight attendants a few weeks ago, despite receiving more than $150 million from the government in wage subsidies. This is a pretty large sum of money. Uh, but we are facing an almost unprecedented uh, situation. In total, the government has thrown more than $305 billion into the economy, which was in trouble even before the coronavirus hit, and is soon expected to post its sixth consecutive quarter of negative growth. With the border effectively closed, Hong Kong has become something of a ghost town, sending shop, hotel, entertainment and restaurant revenues plummeting. What's been even more devastating to the catering industry is the social distancing measures imposed. The government has given restaurant subsidies to help tie them over. But the arrival of the fourth wave of infections just before Christmas saw the number of diners per table kept at two again and in restaurants dining allowed only until 6pm over the peak holiday season. The president of the Hong Kong Federation of Restaurants and Related Trades, Simon Wong, calculated that industry losses in December alone were total billions of dollars. Simply, it means a drop in business. We saw that the business in July dropped by about 60%. That is rather alarming at that time, and a lot of restaurants have been closed. The unemployment rate climbed steadily through most of the year, from 4.2% in the first quarter to 6.4% in October, the highest since the SARS outbreak in 2003. For the FMB sector, it's much worse, with jobless rate now up over 13%. Government's figures show more than 244,000 people are without a job as we head into 2021. As the pandemic lingered, companies also told employees to take unpaid leave or have their salaries cut. To avoid mass layoffs, the government rolled out a $90 billion wage subsidy scheme in early summer. The plan was to pay workers wages for half a year, capped at $9,000 a month. But critics said the job retention plan would only benefit employers. Confederation of Trade Unions Chairwoman Carol Ng urged the government to give the money directly to staff. The entire relief funds is assisting the employer further exploit the remaining workers. 
，我会向十八岁或以上嘅香港永久性居民发放一万蚊。An earlier bid to relieve the burden of Hong Kong's struggling workers and boost spending came in the spring budget. But the $10,000 financial secretary Paul Chen announced he was giving to all adult permanent residents drew a mixed response. I spend a lot of money to buy a lot of masks and other sanitizers. It is a kind of a compensation for all the expenses. I just spend a lot. I think it's not useful for us. Like so many nurses or doctors, they need the money for masks or for their protection. Doesn't really help, but well, save. Money for the rest of the、uh, time for the needed one,、um, maybe helpful for normal people. I don't think that's applicable. As the year drew to a close and COVID-19 again reared its head, a 5.5 billion dollar Christmas aid package was rolled out for businesses restricted or locked down over the festive season. But the chief secretary Matthew Zheng indicated the government was running out of firepower for the economy. We've already spent 300 billion dollars. A lot of money there in terms of fighting the epidemic and easing the pressure on the community and helping industries as well. So we are facing a very difficult fiscal position that we've got to be prudent, but at the same time we've got to be compassionate. I think we've got the right balance struck here. With the public money pumped hard at work for much of 2020, its forecast the government's deficit will rise to a record of more than $300 billion this financial year. Cutting its reserves to just 40 months of spending, but despite appeals for more caution on public spending, the chief executive Carrie Lam made clear she intends pressing ahead with her $600 billion Land Tao Tomorrow reclamation scheme, come what may. I would say the Land Tao Tomorrow vision is wonderful for Hong Kong. Still, there is a lot of、uh, objection, but we still proceed. But should it? Although coronavirus vaccines are expected to arrive here in the new year. A more infectious strain of COVID-19 has shut down Britain and spread beyond its shores. Hong Kong is still in the grip of its own coronavirus outbreak. The economy is expected to continue to shrink and unemployment to rise, and there's little or no sign yet of any kind of return to normality. Handel's well-known work, *The Messiah*, was composed in 1741, and the words are based on scriptures from the Bible. Often played in its original, it has also been reworked by musicians to reflect the changing times. One Canadian opera company has interpreted *The Messiah* online as a way of celebrating diversity. Among the performers in this production, called *Messiah Complex* by the Against the Grain Theatre in Toronto, are Asian, Arab, and Indigenous people. Renelta Arlook is an Inuit from the northwestern territories of Canada who co-directs Messiah Complex. She's been speaking to the BBC's Lawrence Pollard. Handel isn't Canadian, right? It came from Europe to Canada, and then was taken and brought into the churches. And so, if you look at how we can bring Handel into our communities, our isolated communities, our northern communities, our indigenous communities, then they have to have a different outlook. And so, looking at it from the place of spirit, of connection, of rejoicing, then it takes it out of the church and takes it out of Europe and puts it into the community. And when you Bring that into Indigenous language, then 
Oh my goodness. Then you're actually connecting to your community and celebrating your community. And that's where that interpretation or that claiming is, is so important. And how does the, how do the different languages work? How do they sound? I mean, because many indigenous oh. languages don't, you know, they, they, they don't use words in the same way. They don't use breath in the same way as European languages, as English. So what do you gain by using indigenous languages? How different does it sound in the translation? Oh, it's so beautiful. You should really listen to it. Uh, so with, um, with specifically with the Nuktitut and Southern Shoshone, the language is tonal. And so in a lot of the indigenous languages, there's a tonal quality to it. So, but one of the negotiations is how do you honor and recognize the music and how do you honor and recognize the language and align that? And I think that that's where that beautiful connection and and that, navigation was really vital and, and fun. I think the soloists that sang in the, in the Indigenous language loved it because they got to navigate the music and the language. <laughs> Is it, in a kind of like a weird way, actually an advantage to have it available online? Uh, because uh, I suspect maybe that might be easier for your target audience to access than if it had taken place in a kind of like a standard, you know, an arts concert place. Uh, yeah, that's exactly it. There are two great advantages that came from doing this, which was that Handel has become is become even more accessible into the isolated communities that a lot of these soloists reside in. You know, I was raised in a community of 1,100 in the in the Arctic, and you know we didn't have Handel's Messiah in our community, and so being able to form a relationship with this music from such a deep community engaged way through language and and, and place. It has actually been quite inspiring. Now you can watch it and anyone around the world can watch it and see how important our relationship to community and land and water is and, and how celebrated that is. And, and in this beautiful celebrated music that, that has become so connected to the season. Those stories were part of the Newswrap program, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. To prevent the spread of disease, make sure all drainage traps contain water. Pour half a liter of water into each drain outlet every week. Check sinks, baths, toilets, and floor drain outlets regularly. If drainage pipes are leaking or blocked, or drain outlets emit a foul smell, arrange prompt inspection and repair by a qualified person. Don't alter drains and pipes on your own. Visit chp.gov.hk for details. Radio 3 Weather. A look at the weather forecast for tonight and tomorrow. Mainly cloudy and becoming cold with temperatures in exposed areas down to 10 degrees Celsius. A fine crisp day with sunny periods and highs of just 15 degrees Celsius with light winds strengthening from the north overnight. Beware of gale force winds offshore and on high ground. The outlook... Morning temperatures in the urban areas will fall further to 7 or 8 degrees on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day and a couple of degrees lower of the chilly new territories. The weather will be fine and dry with morning temperatures remaining low over the weekend. Currently, the air quality health index here in Hong Kong is low to moderate. The readings are 3 and 6 at 
the observatory, the air temperature is 20 degrees Celsius, relative humidity stands at 84%, and the strong monsoon signal has been issued. To Paul and Mary getting us started for the second half of this show for Tuesday the 29th of December 2020. I'm Simon Wilson sitting in for Uncle Ray. The world's most durable DJ is sheltering in place during this current Covid spike and will be back as soon as it's safe. In the meantime, playing assorted ballads and easy listening through till one with just a wee hint of nostalgia. If there's something you'd like to hear, 233882666 is the number. <laughs> Wishing and hoping and thinking and praying 